seat. So we are in the beginning of a four-week sermon series on revival. Uh, And I'm going to kind of give you a lot of background here this morning to to let you know uh, what that means, because I think we can talk about kind of big words a lot or or fluffy words like revival or repentance, and and we just kind of glaze over them. Um, I don't want us to glaze over it, so we're going to kind of dive into what that practically means for us. And so to give you a little bit of background on, on why we're talking about revival, uh, back in April, we were at our student team staff retreat, and Justin challenged each of us. He said, I want you to ask God, God, what do you have for me in this coming season? Or what do you want to speak to me? What do you want to prepare me for? What do you, what do you want me to, to change to get ready for what's coming ahead? And so I began praying into that, and at first I, I heard absolutely nothing, and I was like, I, I guess God isn't speaking to me today. But as I just kept, okay, Lord, you're, I, I know you're going to say something. I know you're going to say something. Uh, I, I felt so strongly that God was saying, Kalen, I want you to become a man of prayer. I know you guys are like, that's the pastor. He's got to be a man of prayer. Like, he, he prays. That's what he gets paid to do. Um, in the, the spirit of complete authenticity, I can talk a lot about prayer. Um, I often have a hard time going to prayer. I'm really good about talking about it. I'm really bad about making it my first resort. And so for, for a long time, I have, I've done everything that I knew how to do. I, I, I figured out, okay, Kalen, what does your wisdom say? And I, I'll, I'll talk to other people, and I'll try and figure out the best course of action, but... But oftentimes, my last resort was, oh, well, maybe I should, I don't know, talk to God. That, that sounds like a good idea. And then I'd pray. Well, God was saying, Kalen, I really want you to become a man of prayer, where, where prayer is not like the, the eighth option down the line, but prayer is your only option. And so as I began um, thinking about that more and, and pressing into that, uh, another thing that, that God spoke to me was that, that because he wants me to become a man of prayer, he wants me to begin praying more for revival in the student ministry. So if you guys don't know, uh, several years ago it was prophesied that revival would take place at Wood's Edge, and that revival would begin here in the student ministry. And so I I just began praying into that more. Like, God, if you're going to do this, please just do it now. And so I, I started praying about that, started spending time with the Lord, um, intentionally reading scripture on, okay, what does revival look like? Uh, we started our Friday night prayer night where um, we, we come together. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but each week, each Friday night, students are coming here to this building and praying for each of you that we would all experience revival. And so that was something else that was birthed out of that. But, but then I just started studying revival more. Like, uh, again, this is kind of like a, a fluffy word in my mind that, that I was like, okay, revival is like, I don't know, good things happen. What does that mean? I don't know. Like, Jesus, the Bible, that, that was my mindset before I started looking into this. And so uh, as I started studying it, I, I found this definition that, that really simplified the, the concept for me. And so uh, go ahead and throw up my, my slide there. A revival definition is just any remarkable improvement in devotion to God by God's people. That's it. 
Revival is, is a remarkable, a, a, a great improvement of, of devotion to God, of love for God, of obedience to God by God's people. If you, if you are in Christ, if you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you are God's people. And so as I started looking more at revival, I went through kind of the historical revivals that we've seen in America. And so show me the historical revivals there. Here's just kind of a, a little list. You don't have to read all of this, but just to give you an idea that, that God has been reviving his people all throughout history. And this is just kind of the big ones that have taken place in America. There are countless other uh, little ones. There's countless other ones in other countries. Um, but this is just kind of an idea of, okay, God, God is moving, and he, he, he moves kind of in seasons of revival. Um, as I continue to study it, especially looking at these historical um, instances of revival, I kind of boiled it down to, okay, what are the, the characteristics of revival? What, what does this practically look like whenever people are revived? And so some of the characteristics... It starts with true repentance. So it starts with, with truly saying, God, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I'm going to change my behavior. That, that's all repentance is. I'm changing the way that I think, changing the way that I act. Uh, there's always a desire for prayer, like a new and fresh desire for prayer, where, where people, like we really believe that we're not just um, talking to some religious being in the sky, but that, that we are really communicating and having a conversation with the infinite God of creation that knows us and that, that is working for our good. There's also an unquestioning belief and passion for and obedience to God's word. Like we, we don't just read the word and then, and then go away and do our own thing, but no, this, this Bible changes us. God's words change us. Uh, worship comes alive. I mean, you think about like, like Freedom Weekend worship. How many of you guys have been a part of Freedom Weekend? Yeah, like, or, or a camp, or whatever mountaintop-type experience, spiritual high that you've had. Um, worship comes alive like that, but on an ongoing basis. Um, brotherly love, like, we, we are, when, when revivals take place, people, like, genuinely love each other, and give to each other, and sacrifice for each other. There's excitement in serving Christ, so, so people are, are, like, pumped to get out and to serve other people and to serve the Lord. Uh, we, there's broken hearts for the lost, so, so your non-Christian friends and family, there's broken-hearted um, a spirit there that, that compels people to share Jesus with their, their friends and family. And then lastly, there, there's a passionate battle that is launched against the strongholds of Satan. So, so the, the things that the enemy is doing in our lives, there's this like, passionate battle of prayer against the, the strongholds of the enemy and, and what the enemy is doing. And so that's kind of an overview of historically what, what revivals have looked like. What would it look like for the student ministry to experience revival? What would it look like for you to experience revival? I mean, I just want you to maybe, maybe close your eyes for a second. Just, just think about that. What, what does that mean for us here? I mean, just some examples. Imagine in the student ministry, because you are a part of, of what God is doing here, that, that addictions are just gone. 
Like the, the temptation to look at pornography or to, to do drugs or to, to go out partying with your friends, like that temptation isn't even a thing anymore. It's just gone. Or like, like the, the depression that, that cripples you, the anxiety that, that binds you, the, the temptation for, for self-harm, like none of that even is a thing anymore because God's Spirit is moving so powerfully in us that, that we all feel so loved by God that He knows us and that He's with us that, that it's not even a thing. That, that, that's the kind of revival we're talking about, like that, that we are known in this student ministry for the way that we love each other. Like, what would it look like if we all just felt like family, like genuinely family, to where, where people around the Woodlands would start talking about us like, man, have you heard about the Woods Edge student ministry? Have you seen the way that they love each other? That's not normal. That doesn't happen with teenagers. That's not, that's not a thing that you will see anywhere else in the world. But man, God's doing something there. That's, that's the kind of revival that I'm talking about. What, what, if, what if worship every single Sunday and Wednesday, every time we gathered together, was the most intimate experience you've ever had with the Lord. Like that, that you came in here to, to just enjoy a Sunday service, but that God rocked your world and changed your heart and your mind through worship. Like these are the type of things that we can experience when, when God is reviving us. How many of you guys would like to be a part? Like how many of you guys want that? I pray that you do. I, I've been praying for you guys. I've been praying for myself that I would want it more. Because if I'm being completely honest, for, for a while, I just didn't care. But God is convicting me so much that, that I don't want to miss out on what, what maybe God has in store for us because I'm not willing to ask him for it. You know, oftentimes we pursue these, like I said, these lofty concepts uh, these kind of fluffy things like revival or holiness or repentance. And it's like, all right, these are big college words that I just couldn't care less about, but I'm going to go after it. Okay, the revival, that sounds cool. That's exciting. And then we just poof, go after it. And it, it lasts for, I don't know, a, a few days, a few weeks, maybe a few hours. And then it just kind of fizzles out. Why is that? Well, because we are doing it out of our own strength, our own wisdom, our own abilities, and we're not looking to what God has to say about how to do it well. You know, it's like, like the ice bucket challenge. How many of you guys remember the ice bucket challenge? Like, it was, it was everywhere for like a month, and it was the thing, and everyone got super excited. Yeah, we're going to change the world with ice buckets. And then, it, and what, does anyone know, like, did anything change? I, I don't know. I don't think anything did, but a lot of people got wet. So that was cool. But when we do things out of our own strength, out of our own wisdom, it's a lot like that. We just, we get excited about something and we ignore what God has to say. And so therefore we just kind of fizzle out. It reminds me of a, a video clip where these people are getting instructed on CPR. They're learning how to save lives. Like this is important stuff here. But instead of listening to their teacher, to their instructor, they just kind of, they get excited about it, and they start doing their own thing, and then chaos ensues. Check this out. Okay, too fast. Everyone, we need to pump at a pace of 100 beats per minute. Oh, okay. That's uh, hard to keep track. How many is that per hour? How's that going to help you? I will divide and then count to it. Right. 
Okay, well, a good trick is to pump to the tune of Staying Alive by the Bee Gees. Do you know that song? Yes, yes, I do. I love that song. <clears throat> First I was afraid, I was petrified. No, it's... Uh, 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 staying alive, okay. yes, staying yeah, yeah. alive. You were in the parking lot earlier. That's how I know you. Ah, 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 staying alive, staying alive. Uh, 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 staying alive, staying alive. Uh, uh, you can't uh, tell by the way I use my walk. I'm a woman's man, no time at all. Words it loud, women more. Been kicked around since I was born. Well, it's all right, it's okay. You can't look the other way. Look at the other way. and the ambulance didn't arrive because nobody called 911. So you lost him. Okay, he's dead. Anyone know what we do next? Anybody? Rose? I have no idea. Anyone else? We bury him. Wrong. Eh, check for an organ donor card. If he has one, we only have minutes to harvest. He has no wallet, I checked. He is an organ donor. He is. Yeah. Give me some ice in a styrofoam bucket. Here we go. Oh my God! Why? Why? We search for the organs. Where's the heart? Precious heart. I'm not feeling well. I need to sit down. When we go after really good things without listening to our teacher, without listening to Jesus, without listening to his word, then we are just like the, the crazy guys that just get up and dance because we're excited about it. Or we're like the really crazy guy that pulls out the boot knife and just starts hacking away to get to the, the fake heart. Like, that's the kind of mess that we can make whenever we are just doing things out of our own wisdom and our own ability and our own, our own passion. And passion is good, but it has to be regulated. It has to line up with what God has to say in his word. And so today we're going to look at what the Lord has to say about revival and where it begins. If you notice, uh, you don't have to pull up the slide, but back on the characteristics of a revival... The first step was true repentance. It starts with true repentance. So we're going to look at here today what that means. I know that repentance can kind of be a, a scary word. Like it has a lot of negative connotations with it. Like if, if all you think of when you think of repentance is, is like the, the crazy sign picket holders that just say repent or burn, kind of like, like these guys up here. Like, if that's all you know of repentance, then maybe your, your vision and your understanding of it's a little bit skewed. But God wants us to know here today that, that when he's calling us to repent, it's not God's fury against us. It's not God saying, I, I can't believe you guys messed this up again. You guys are terrible. I am done with you. That's not it at all. God knows that we are very imperfect. What God is saying when he's calling us to repent is he's saying, look, I am the loving father and I just want my kids to get rid of the things in their lives that are hurting them and that are keeping them from me. That is what repentance is. It's getting rid of the stuff in our life that is keeping us from our greatest happiness in God. Because our, our lives are the best whenever we are, are with God, we're, we're intimate with God, because that is how God created us, is to, to talk with him, to be with him, to communicate with him, to love him. And so that's what repentance does for us. It is a gift. Repentance is a gift so that we can get rid of the, 
the junk in our life that keeps us from the all-loving, all-knowing God. And so to look at repentance today, we're going to be in 2 Chronicles 7. I'm going to go ahead and read our passage, starting in verse 13. It says, At times I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls, or command grasshoppers to devour your crops, or send plagues among you. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sins and restore their land, and my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place." as this is the, the process of revival right here. If you'll notice, the, the first verse begins with some hardship. Did y'all notice that? The first verse is saying, God, God's talking to his people saying, look guys, at, at times there's going to be some hard things that, that come your way. Why does God begin this with hardship? Like That, that seems kind of, kind of mean, right? Well, God begins with hardship because because suffering so often is, is used to bring us back to God. God wants to use everything in our lives, including suffering, to draw us near to himself. And so let me just ask you the question here today. What is your suffering? What is, what is the hardship in your life right now? You all have it. We all have it. What's, what's that hard thing in your life? It could be maybe a, a an addiction that's just crippling you? Maybe it's conflict with somebody. What, what is that hardship in your life right now? I want you to know this morning that, that God wants to use that hardship to drive you back to himself. Man, some of the, the best, sweetest times I've ever had with Jesus have been in the smack dab middle of some of my hardest seasons of life. When I'm dealing with great loss, or I'm in the middle of an addiction, or, or I'm battling this, this crippling depression, and God has used those things to drive me back to himself, because I come to a place of finally saying, God, I got nothing but you. I need you more than anything, and I can't do this alone. As that, that is what God is wanting to do with your, your hardship, your, your pain. He wants to draw you near to himself. God works everything together for our good, including hardship, including the hard things of this life. See, God's people are in this never-ending cycle. We are all in this never-ending cycle of, of our relationship with God. Daniel, throw up my, my little... Uh, tornado there. This is kind of a generalization of, of our Christian walk with the Lord. This, this characterized, I, I pulled this from an overview of the Old Testament. The Israelites, this was their story over and over and over again. And so imagine, this, this is us. Just imagine, okay, what, what was the last like um, spiritual high you had, like mountaintop experience? Maybe it was Freedom Weekend, maybe it was camp, maybe it was just a really good quiet time. We start at the top. We're devoted to God. Like, God, you're my everything. All I want is you. And so he, he blesses us. He gives us more of himself. He, he takes care of our, our needs. And because he's, he's taking care of us, we start relaxing our pursuit of him. Like, okay, now I can relax. I can just sit back in the lazy boy of holiness. And God, 
Yes, more grapes, God, more grapes. So we relax our pursuit of God, we become complacent, and in turn, we, we then fall away from God. So we fall away from God, and then we, we fall into sin. Usually, when we're away from God, we're really close to sin. That's usually how it works. And so because we're in sin, we, we start experiencing the suffering of our sin, the slavery. Now, not, not all suffering is a result of, of our sin, but all suffering is a result of this fallen world, this, this broken world. And so then we go on to, because we are having a, a hard time, it forces us to be desperate for God. We come to that place I was just talking about of like, God, I got nothing. I got nothing but you. You're going to have to save me because you're my only resort. So we become desperate for God. And then it causes us to return to God, which is great. And then we become devoted to God. We start loving him again like, Lord, you saved me. You're amazing. I can't do anything without you. And then he blesses us, and then we come back on the cycle, and then we just keep going around and around and around. As the, this, is, this is my Christian life right here. Now, hopefully, as we're on this little ring around the rosy, hopefully it is coming higher and higher. So we're, we're spinning higher and higher so that hopefully the things that, that um, the sins that we fall into Ten years ago, hopefully, are different than the ones that we're falling into today. We're maturing, we're going in Christ, but, but either way, we're still in this kind of roller coaster of, God's amazing, he can do it all. Oh my gosh, I'm alone and I'm going to die. God's amazing, he can do it all. And that is, that's kind of what, what we do as human beings. That, that is our human condition. And, and so God wants to use the bottom, the hard times, to bring us back around the cycle to get us back to himself. So whatever hard time you're going through right now, I beg you, I'm, I'm pleading with you, don't miss out on the opportunity to seek God because of it. Someone told me that once. In the midst of one of my, my darkest seasons, he, he told me, look, don't miss out on the, the opportunity to seek God in the midst of this pain. Because some of your most intimate, best times with God could be in the middle of this. So once we recognize that, that hardship is meant to bring us back to God, what else does he say? He says, okay, now that, now that you're coming back to me, he says, then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek God's face and turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. Where does it start with? It says, then if my people who are called by my name. I love this. God, God begins this section on repentance by saying, you are my people. I call you by name. If you are a Christian, if you have received Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, then this is, he's talking to you. He says, you are my people. I have called you by name. I have I have saved you. Remember that, that anytime we're being called to repent, we have to first remember, okay, I'm God's kid. I'm his kid, and, and I'm, I'm never leaving this family. He's not kicking me out of the family if I mess up. No, I am God's kid. He wants to remind us here that we are his people. And then once we have an understanding of our identity, of who we are in Jesus, says, okay, if my people will humble themselves and pray, okay, wh what does that mean? 
What does it mean to, to humble ourselves and pray? Repentance begins with humility. Repentance begins with humility. It's saying, look, God, I messed up. I've been going my own way for a long time, and I thought I was doing a good job. I thought I was having a good time, but all I'm doing is leading myself into suffering. God, I have messed it up royally, and I need you. That, that is all it's saying here. When we humble ourselves, all we're saying is, God, my way is no good. Your way is the only good. That is all humbling ourselves looks like with humility. And it says once we've, once we've done that, once we've said, God, I want your way above any other way, and it says, okay, now seek my face. Seek God's face. What does that look like? How, how do we practically seek God's face? Like that, again, that's another one of those like fluffy terms. What does that mean? Well, it means just do things to get into God's presence. Okay, you just answered fluffy terms with more fluffy terms. What does that mean? Getting into God's presence is spending time in this right here. God has given us a book. He has written to us thousands and thousands of words so that we could get to know him. So that we could know what he likes and what he doesn't like. So we can know how he feels about us and how he doesn't feel about us. You can know who he is through this. And if you're not regularly spending time in his word, then you're going to have a really hard time getting into God's presence. The times in my life when I neglect God's word, I, I have such a hard time worshiping him with my whole heart, praying to him with my whole heart. It affects it all. Guys, we have to be spending time in his word, getting to know him. How else can we get in his presence? Well, worship. God, God designed us to be worshipers. We are worshipers at our core. We will either worship Beyonce, we will worship our own success, we will worship what other people think about us, we will worship our, our car or our, our school grades, or what, we will worship something, but God has designed us to worship himself. So how do you get into his presence on a regular basis? You, you, you worship him. Maybe instead of driving to, to school or sitting at home listening to Beyonce or Post Malone or whatever you want to listen to, maybe instead of that, throw on some worship music and engage your heart and just start singing out to God. It doesn't matter if you can't sing, if you can't carry a tune worth anything. God doesn't care. He says make a joyful noise to him. He doesn't say make a pretty noise. Just be, be, be noisy at God as you worship. Just cry out to God. How else do we get in his presence? Well, we pray. We spend time talking with him. My wife and I, if I don't spend time talking to her, there is no way that our relationship is going to be good. Trust me, I've tried it. It doesn't work, and she will attest to that. When, they, when I go through seasons of like, Giving her the one-word answers like, hey, how was your day? Fine. What would you do today? Nothing. And I don't engage my heart with her. Our, our marriage, it, it suffers. And in the same way, if we're not regularly talking with God, talking with him about our, our fears and our struggles and the things we love about him and the things that we're frustrated by, 
if we're not regularly talking with him, then, then we're not having a good relationship with God. We, we have to be regularly getting in his presence by talking with him. And then the last main one that, that I see of how to get in his presence is, man, get into his, with his people. God's presence is with his, his people, with his church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. He his plan for, for world domination, if you will, is his church. And so if we're not regularly getting with his people at church, then we are missing out on a huge part of his presence. And so what does that look like? Well, you guys are doing the first step of it right now. Well done. I am proud of y'all. But beyond that, don't just come and, and just hang out. That, that's good and that's fun. But if you want to get the most out of God's people, then you need to have some real, deep relationships with God's people. And guys, that happens at small groups. If you are not a part of a, a small group where, where you're being uh, encouraged by other people, you're being challenged by other people, then you are missing out on a lot of God's presence and his gifts that he wants to give you. So we're starting small groups in a month. Guys, I, I would get on my knees and plead and beg you, get involved in a small group. It is the, the most life-changing thing you can do while here at church. So we have to seek God's face. After we've humbled ourselves, we then, okay, God, I'm just going to start getting into your presence. Even if I don't feel like it, even if I don't really know how, God, I'm going to get into your presence. And then what does it say? And then, after you've done all those things, then we have to turn from our wicked ways. That's the repentance piece. We have to turn from what is keeping us from God, from our Father. Now, repentance is not, okay, I'm going one way, and God catches me on something, like, oh no, I got caught. Uh, I'm sorry, God, and then you just keep going the same way. I have, I have repented like that a thousand billion times in my life. Like, oh, dang it, God, you caught me. Um, sorry, I'll try better next time. That is not repentance. Repentance means we are walking one direction and God convicts us and we then change and walk the opposite direction. Okay, God, I'm not going to do that anymore. Repentance means to change the way that we think, which then changes the way that we act. If we're not truly repenting, if, if there's not life change then, then we can't expect to be receiving the things that he promises after this. Uh, after this. Now, now, don't get me wrong. God is not expecting perfection from us. From all, for all of you perfectionists out there that think, man, every time that I, I do a little sin, God is just, he's just furious with me. He's angry and he's going to squish me like a bug. That is not the God of the Bible. That is not the God that, that he has revealed himself to be. He knows that we are just dust. Like, literally, we are formed out of dust. God is not asking for perfection. God is asking for humility and repentance. So when we recognize that we are doing something that is dishonoring to God, that is hurting ourselves, it's just a matter of saying, Lord, I, I agree with you. That is, that is not good for me. I'm going to change. Now, would you help me to change? Would you help me to change because if we're doing it out of our own strength again it's going to fizzle out it's not going to last 
But if we're asking God to help us, then man, we can experience the gift of true repentance. After we repent, after we've humbled ourselves and we've prayed, this is the promise that God says for us. He says, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. And my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. Man, that, that is a sweet deal right there. God, the one who spoke a word and the Milky Way galaxy just appeared like that. He spoke a word and you were formed. He spoke a word and Mount Everest just goes, boop, just rose up out of nothing. That God holds all power. He holds all authority. He holds every resource in the universe. And he's saying, look, if you'll, if you'll do this repentance thing for real, I will hear you from heaven. I'll forgive you. I'm full of forgiveness, and I will heal you. My eyes will be opened, and my ears will be listening to your prayers. And what could be greater than that? That God, the one who holds everything in the palm of his hands, is saying, okay, if you'll do this repentance thing, if, you, if you'll get real with me, I'm going to blow your socks off with what I'm going to do in your life. I don't know about you, but that, that's, that's the kind of life that I want. I want God doing everything in my life. Because if, if I'm just doing what I think is best, if I'm just doing what I can do out of my own strength, that's going to be a very insignificant life. I want what God can do. Why does God say that we first have to humble ourselves, we have to pray, we have to repent, we have to do all these things before we can experience his blessings. Well, to, to draw this out a little, I'm going to use my son as an illustration. How many of you guys know Mark? Show me my picture of Mark. Look at that little guy. That's his puppy dog outfit. Actually, it's a towel. That is Mark. He, he is my best bud. We are, we are buds. And we play together, and we wrestle, and we joke together. We have these, these little inside jokes that we do together. I, I love Mark deeply. And Mark has this, this little toy that he calls his Batman cycle. Some of my, my Batman cycle. That is Batman on a motorcycle. That's all it is. But, but Mark loves this little thing. Like, he, he gets so happy Anytime that he sees it. Because number one, he loves Batman because I've done my job well as a father. Number two, he loves motorcycles because I drive a motorcycle. And so I, th I think that this is like his love for me. Yeah, we'll just go with that. No, I think he really just likes the toy. And so Mark loves this thing. And oftentimes, Mark will lose it. So he will, he'll be playing with it somewhere and he, he is like scatterbrain extraordinaire, and so he will set it down and hide it someplace and then forget completely where he's hidden it. So like on the daily, we are having to go on scavenger hunts to go find this. So he'll come up to me and he'll say, Daddy, Batman cycle. Daddy, where's, where's my toy? Help me find my toy. And so I, I get up and say, okay, let's, let's go on a scavenger hunt. We look in the cabinets, we look under the couch. We end up finding it like at the bottom of the Cheerio bag. I have to dig through the food. I don't know why he hides them in weird places, but he does. 
Once I pull it out, I mean, the look on his face, he is just overjoyed. And it, as a dad, like, there's no better feeling than seeing your kid super, super happy. Like, it, it makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. That is when Mark is in a good place. But sometimes, Mark can be kind of a punk. He has a little sin nature that likes to rise up. And so there's times whenever Mark will go to his mother and he'll, I don't know, throw something at her or she'll ask him to do something and he'll throw a big fit or he'll go to his sister and he'll whack her in the head just for fun. And if he does that right before he comes to me, he's done this before, he then comes to me and he says, Daddy, Batman cycle. Would, would I be a good dad if I didn't first say, son, you need to go you need to go repent. You need to go ask forgiveness. You need to make this relationship right between you and your mother and your sister. I would be a terrible dad if I was like, yeah, sure, let's go, Batman cycle. Because I would be teaching him that the way that he just treated his sister and his mom was okay and that it was good for him. And so I don't want to teach him that. And so I say, no, Mark, first you need to go say you're sorry and mend this relationship and so then he goes to do it, and once he does, then I can come back and say, all right, now let's go on the scavenger hunt. In the same way, God is looking at each of us, and he's saying, look, I have these, these good things that I want to give to you, I want to do in your life. But if I were to give them to you before you repented, I would be teaching you that that behavior is good for you, which it's not. And God is the best of fathers. He is the perfect father. And so he will not do that because it's not for your good. So the question you need to ask yourself here this morning is, is what is that sin in your life that is keeping God from giving you your Batman cycle? What's that sin in your life that, that's keeping God from, from giving you all these good things? that maybe even you're asking for? Is there something there that you, you know right away, yep, that's it? If there is, then that, that's the Holy Spirit convicting you right now, and that, that's a good thing, because he's saying, look, son, daughter, that's not good for you. That is not good for you. Guys, revival begins with repentance. If we're wanting God to do these amazing good things, then we have to begin by repenting. I envision two paths before us here this morning. There's a picture of a couple of paths right here. This is what I envision kind of in our future. Guys, we have the opportunity to take one of two paths here this morning. We could take the right path on the right side. It's a gravel path. It's pretty, pretty level. It's pretty, like there's pretty trees there. It's kind of easy. We could just keep doing what we're doing, keep the status quo, and things will be good. Things will be good. Maybe we, we go through student ministry and, and some cool things happen, but, but we never really experience the power of God. Never really experience freedom from the chains that bind us. Never experience this revival that has been promised, we could keep going down the right path. 
Or we could take the left path. It's a bit harder. I mean, you can see right now that it, it's a harder one to climb. There are roots everywhere. We'll trip up. It's uphill. It's steep uphill. It's going to be a harder climb. We might have to shed some weight before we can go up that way. Might have to shed some, some sins that we want to cling to. But guys, if we go up the left path together, man, that is where the revival that we're talking about is. That is where we experience love for each other unlike this world has ever seen. That is where we experience feeling so loved by God that we don't even have a desire for, for self-harm or for pornography or for whatever the addiction is that is coming against us. That, that is where that is. If we will repent and if we will take the harder path, then we will get to experience the goodness of God unlike people have in years and decades. Guys, God is in the business of reviving people. God is in the business of drawing his people back to himself. Could it be that, that we are that people? That God wants to draw us so closely to himself so that his glory would be on display in the Woodlands, Texas? That people at your schools, that your, your families and your friends would look at you and say, what the heck is going on there? I need some of that. That is the revival that is up that harder path. But we're going to have to commit to doing it together. Can't just be a few of us. We got to get on board with that. But I promise you, it is worth it. It is so worth it. Guys, if we will go up that left path together, I mean, you see, you see the gravel path on the right. It, it's pretty. There's, there's trees there. But man, you go up that left path. Show me my next picture. That is where the glory of God is on display. That is where you see God more fully than you've ever seen him before, where you know him more intimately than you've ever known him before, where you experience more power over sin, more victory over sin in your life than you've ever experienced. And then the people around you get to experience the beauty that's there. And your lost friends and family are coming to know Jesus all because you are experiencing personal revival. Guys, that is, that is what we're after. I pray that, that you want the same thing. But if we do, then we have to begin with repentance.